next week we're going to be reading um, through a couple different verses. And so um, rather than opening up your Bibles to the Proverbs, we're actually going to read a couple ver- verses off the screen together. So will you stand? And if you uh, are interested in reading along with that, please do so. Um, but we're instead of looking in your Bibles, we're actually just going to read it off the screen. So we're going to take a moment and then read this. All right. Whenever you're ready, Joyce. Remember, as we read, we're reading God's word. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. May this word of the Lord give us wisdom to know what's best and the courage to do it. You may be seated. I didn't hear an amen after the first verse. That was about a quarrelsome man. So uh, anyway, well, we love a good fight. Someone's going to have one on the way home. But it just seems like as people, we love, we love a good fight. I mean, you can't get kids at school to listen to anything, right? But if the words fight, 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 fight break out, like they hear it and they run, right? We, we love a good fight. And you look at the culture, we love this, right? I just, every time I go through the checkout lines, I'm so excited to be able to learn who in Hollywood is fighting with who and which of the Kardashians are fighting with whichever pro athlete they're dating and all the different fights that are happening. It's just drama. Who's mad at who? What does this all look like? Um, obviously we like a good fight. The 2016 presidential debates were the most watched presidential debates in history, which is really interesting. I mean, part of that might just be there's more people and so more people watch. But it's also what's fascinating to me about that is, is regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, um, everybody has agreed that these were two of the least popular candidates in history. And yet everybody wanted to tune in to watch them fight. <laughs> it's really interesting. We see this in our TV shows, right? If you are a sports fan like I am, you can barely watch a sports network anymore because all it is is fighting shows. Pardon the interruption and first things first and first take and who's fighting with who about whatever. And it's just these fighting debate shows. And it isn't just kind of in news and in you know, politics and in sports. It's actually gotten into all kinds of shows, right? Like think about some of the titles of the shows that are on TV. Lip Sync Battle. What could be less scary than lip syncing, right? But we've turned it into a battle, right? Or think about this, cupcake wars. (laughs) Why are we warring? Like, we love cupcakes. Who doesn't love cupcakes? Why why are we warring about this? But we, we like to war. We like to fight. We like to quarrel. We like there to be strife. And that's what we're going to look at today from the book of Proverbs is how to have self-control in a world of anger, in a world of quarreling, in a world of strife. The series that we're in here is called Proverbs, Wisdom, and Dizzying Times. And the idea is that the times around us are dizzying. And we need not more information. We have plenty of that. We live in the information age. What we actually need is wisdom. And so we want, as the people of redemption, to be a people of wisdom. We want to live a a wisdom age in the information age. And so wisdom and folly are calling. This is what we've seen over this series. Wisdom and folly are always calling out to us. And how will we respond? And what we saw last week is that we will often respond based on what's in our hearts. And so last week we said from Proverbs 4.23, above all else.
else. Guard your heart. Because everything you do flows from it. And so one of the most poisonous, toxic things that we can have in our hearts are anger, strife, and a quarrelsome spirit. That's what both of the verses we read were about, about a quarrelsome person. That A quarrelsome person is, is like adding fuel to a fire. It's not very fun to live with a quarrelsome person. And so what is it? What does it mean to be quarrelsome? That's what we're going to first look at. What does it mean to be quarrelsome? Where the definition is given to or characterized by quarreling. We want to fight. We want to go after it. That's kind of a definition of it. And here's the thing. Some things are worth fighting for. Right? Some things are worth fighting for. Don't hear this message today as a message that says don't fight about anything ever. That's not the case. Today is actually the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. This is Reformation Sunday. And we rejoice. We thank God that there are some things worth fighting for. That some of the theology and some of the practices in the Roman church at the time of Martin Luther were worth fighting for. So some things are worth fighting for. But a person who's quarrelsome is a person who is always fighting. They're always eager to fight. It just doesn't take much for them to get into it, right? When I, when I thought of this, I, I thought of this uh, hockey game that I play on Xbox. Um, and when I can, I try to get my kids involved with it. And it's just a regular NHL hockey game. Uh, it's really fun. And, uh, but I'll get my, my nine-year-old Caitlin to play with me sometimes. And it's interesting because when I play with Caitlin, she doesn't care about scoring. She doesn't care about passing. She doesn't care about defending. She just wants to fight, right? Because the yellow button, if you hit the yellow button, you like the guys start fighting each other, right? And so we don't play hockey. We play boxing with a hockey game in between. And that's just how she, she like when she plays, she goes, I just want to fight. I don't care about who wins. I don't care how it goes. I just want to fight. And that's how some of you are. That's how some of us are. I'm actually supremely qualified to give this sermon today. Because naturally, in my flesh, that's how I am. I want to fight. I want to pick a fight. I want to be quarrelsome. I want to do all those things. That's what it is to be quarrelsome. By the way, I made a comment last Sunday that I just want to clarify a bit. I, I was talking about how uh, we have to protect our hearts from things that, you know, get in there and, and do damage. And I mentioned how one of the ways that I know one of the kind of gauges for me of whether my heart's in a bad place is if I'm too irritable. And I, I made a joke about Sean Hannity and how I used to listen to Sean Hannity and now I don't listen to Sean Hannity and that, that was bad for my heart. And I, I want to clarify something. I wasn't saying that on the basis of Sean Hannity's views, though I don't agree with everything Sean Hannity says. I agree with some of what he says. My sense of why I had to stop listening to him was because it always felt like he was trying to pick a fight. If you ever hear him interview somebody, he, if they don't agree with him, he just interrupts them the whole time. Now, maybe that's not an issue for you. It was for me. And so for me, I went, you know what? I'm already prone to being quarrelsome. I'm prone to being filled with strife. I'm prone to just always want to look for a fight. So regardless of the views, even if I agree completely with your views, I, I don't need someone else egging me on to be quarrelsome. Does that make sense? No, I'm not saying Sean Hannity is wrong for you. I just know that it doesn't do good stuff for my heart. And you could fill in a lot of other names <laughs> that are the same way. So, how do you know if you're quarrelsome? Well, you might be quarrelsome if being right is more important than relationship. Do you ruin relationships? Do you get 
get relationships off course in the name of being right. Well, I was right. Yeah, you were right. And no one in your life wants to be around you. But you're right. At least you're right. Being right is more important than relationships. You might be quarrelsome. You might also be quarrelsome if you'd rather make a point than a difference. A lot of people want to make points. But do you want to make a difference? Do you want to actually build a relationship? Because that's how you make a difference is through relationship, right? So if you just care about being right, if you just care about making a point, you really aren't going to have relationships and you aren't going to actually make much of a difference. You might also be quarrelsome if everything is a hill to die on. Right, if you can't tell the difference between like the closed-handed, I should fight for this, give my life for this, and the open-handed, it's not really that important. It's secondary, it's tertiary, it's whatever the fourth thing is for that. I don't need to fight for it. But if everything's a hill to die on, if everything is so important, then maybe, maybe you're a quarrelsome person. You might also be a quarrelsome person if you dispute being called quarrelsome. <laughs> some, some of you right now are like, I'm not quarrelsome, see? Like, I, that's not me. I'm not quarrelsome. I just have discernment. Okay. Well, in the name of discernment, are you fighting and causing strife? You might say, you know what, no, I'm not quarrelsome. I just like to make people think. That's how I justify it. Or this is my favorite. I'm not quarrelsome. I just like to play the devil's advocate. Okay, let's just think about those words for a minute. <laughs> I just like to line up on the side of the devil. Like, that's, really? Like, that's what you want to be? And so if you dispute being called quarrelsome, if being right and making a point is more important than relationship or making a difference, if everything's a hill to die on, you're quarrelsome. And here's the thing. Some of us are like that all the time. Like, that's the default setting, it seems, of our lives. But for all of us, there are certain moments, there are certain times when we can be quarrelsome, when we can be angry, when we can be prone to strife. And so this is a message for all of us, because all of us can be quarrelsome. So that's what it means to be quarrelsome. The, the question really from the Proverbs is, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about being quarrelsome? Like what? So? Like, hey, doesn't it just make life more fun? Doesn't it make life more interesting? Like, wouldn't it be boring if we didn't have you know, like some quarrels and fights? Like, what's, what's the big deal? Well, the Proverbs... And the rest of Scripture give us at least three reasons why this is a big deal. The first is it's miserable for those around you. It's miserable for those around you. If you're quarrelsome, if you're always contentious, if you're always fighting, that, that is miserable. And the Proverbs, a number of places, indicate that. I want to show you three verses from the Proverbs that all talk about living with a quarrelsome wife or a quarrelsome woman. And so just hold your amens back there. And... <laughs> And, and here's what I want you to see in these verses. This isn't about being a man or a woman. This is about being quarrelsome. Just so happens that this male author of Scripture is, you know, writing about his experience. But this isn't about man-woman. It's about being quarrelsome. And here's how it's described. Here's the misery. Proverbs 21:19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. If there's any verse we in Arizona should understand, it's that. Right? It's just better to wander out into the heat of the desert. How fun would that be? Uh, not at all. That's better than living with someone who's always quarreling and fretting and fighting. Better to just wander off into the heat of the desert, burn your feet, than to live with that. Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. People who are quarrelsome, people who are filled with strife, are not enjoyable to be around. You go, I want to get as far away from them as I can get because it's just not any fun. 
So you get off to the, cor- the corner of the housetop. Proverbs 27:15 says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. That's my best dripping sound. Just continue, never stop. And again, it's not about the wife here, it's about the quarrelsome. Right? How irritating is it to have this drip that just never stops? To have this thing that's always grating on you. That's what it's like to be with somebody who's quarrelsome. So what's the big deal? It's miserable for those around you. You're called to love your neighbor as yourself, and it's not any fun if you, if you do that. All right, number two, here's why it's a big deal, is it's the antithesis of how God made us. It's the antithesis of how God made us. So here I'm zooming out from the Proverbs and going into the rest of the biblical story. And if you think about how God made us, God made us as relational beings. We're made in the image of God. God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally existing as one God. So within God, there has always been love and relationship. So when we're made in the image of God, we're made in the image of love and relationship. And when you think about how God made us, at the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, before sin... We were in right relationship in four directions. We were in right relationship with God. Scriptures say that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. We were in right relationship with each other. Adam and Eve, it says, were naked and felt no shame. They were totally comfortable in each other's skin, totally, or in their skin, totally comfortable with each other. There's just harmonious relationship between each other. There's also right relationship with the creation. They were naming the animals. They were working the garden. There was this right relationship between them and everything else God had made. And there was a right relationship even within themselves. They felt no shame. They didn't feel embarrassment. They were just comfortable in their own skin. That's what it is to live in the kingdom of God. That's what it is to live as we're made to live fully human. But here's the thing. Sin comes in, and all of a sudden those, alienate, th- th- those relationships that were all right now become alienated. Right? They start hiding from God. They start blaming each other. The ground is now cursed, and they're covering themselves up with fig leaves. Right? So that kind, what, what is that the cause of? That's the cause of strife. That's the cause of being quarrelsome. That's the cause of saying, God, I want to live how I want to live, regardless of what you tell me. And so when we are quarrelsome, when we're contentious, when we're... What we're doing is we're actually living out the story of the fall rather than living out the story of what it is to be made in the image of God, living in the kingdom of God. So it's a big deal because it's miserable for those around you. It's a big deal because it's the antithesis of how God made us. But it's also a big deal because it's eternally dangerous. There's a number of places in the scriptures where the authors will list out a bunch of sins that are eternally dangerous. Here's one such list from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. He says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be... So so get that first sentence. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you go on continuing in your sin, in your rebellion, in your unrighteousness, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Got it? That's the topic sentence. Now here he explains. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers 
will inherit the kingdom of God. There are a lot of sins on this list that Christians have focused on over the years, been upset about, have even kind of tried to do battle over stopping. And you know what one of them hasn't been? We'll highlight it here. Revilers. Do you know what reviling means? To revile is to heap abuse or angry insults at somebody. Do you know what it is? It's to be contentious. In fact, in the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, the Proverbs that are translated as quarrelsome are translated the same Greek word is used there that's used here. Think about this. You don't inherit the kingdom of God if you're a reviler, if you're contentious, if you're angry, if you're filled with strife. And you can be right about sexual mispractice. You can be right about adultery. And you can be right about drunkenness. But if you're doing it being contentious, you yourself are in danger. Now, here's the good news that I always want to read on the back half of this passage. Paul continues the next verse. He says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here's what Paul says. Paul says that none of those sins are fatal. If you will turn to Jesus and be washed and be cleansed and be made right by him. Such were some of you. Some, some of you were significant sexual sinners. Some of you were drunks. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were contentious and quarrelsome and revilers. But God's grace can cleanse us from that. But if we won't repent, if we harden our hearts, if we say, you know what, this is just how I am, without any of those things, even being quarrelsome, we're in eternal danger. So it's a big deal. Not only is it going to ruin your relationships, but it's, it's eternally dangerous. Now, here's the next question. Well, what contributes to it? What contributes to being quarrelsome, right? Because there's just being quarrelsome. But here's what's fascinating. In the Proverbs, we actually see that there are a number of other things that contribute to it as well. And so here's how I want us to think, right? We've talked about this before, that if sin is like a weed, right, there's two ways to pull out weeds, right? You all have weeds in your yard, I assume, right? Whether you have rocks or whether you have grass, just weeds. Part of living in that fallen creation is that there are weeds. And there's two ways to deal with the weeds. One way is to just sort of break them off and put them in the trash. And what will happen? They grow back. Another way is to dig down and get the root and pull them out and throw them in the trash. And what happens there? They grow back slower. (laughs) Right, so get this. If you deal with these things, these aren't guarantees that it all goes away. But but the question is going to be, what contributes to this? What makes it worse? Uh, Are there things that actually combined with being quarrelsome or contentious, like make it more quarrelsome and contentious? Or or are there things that are kind of gateway drugs to being filled with strife, being contentious? What contributes to being quarrelsome? Well, there's five things that the Proverbs talk about at least. The first one is temper. Temper. Some of you just have a temper. Like, like you just, it doesn't take much, right? I talked to a guy one time that said, "I, I don't have a hair trigger. I have no trigger. That must not be any fun to be with you. 
And he was kind of actually admitting that at the time. Here's what Proverbs 15, 18 says. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. That word strife that you're going to see in a number of these passages, it's the same Hebrew word that means quarrelsome. Same thing. Sometimes it's translated quarrelsome. Sometimes it's translated strife. But a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Are you hot-tempered? Some of you are just more given to this than others because of your personality or because of your upbringing or because of a lot of different factors. You just have more of a temper. And the more of a temper you have, the more you're going to stir up strife. Okay? So that's one thing that contributes is maybe just having a bad temper. Another thing, though, is greed. This is kind of an interesting one to think about. Huh? What? Greed? What, what do you mean greed? Well, here's what it says in Proverbs 28, 25. It says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. A greedy man stirs up strife. I had to think about this one especially, which is really what Proverbs are designed to do. Right? Some of them you just read it and you just instantly know what it's talking about. And others you sort of go, huh, what does that mean? What's that about? Why would greed lead to stirring up strife? Why would greed make you more contentious, make you more quarrelsome. Think about it. There's probably a number of reasons, but, but I thought, okay, if you're greedy, you're thinking, I want more, I want more, I gotta have more, which oftentimes, at least in our world, means you're busy, so you gotta work a lot, you gotta make a lot of money, and you gotta do a lot of things to be able to have all the things that you want, or you have all the things, and since you have them, you got to use them, and so you, you just get real busy because you've wanted a lot of stuff. You've been greedy. You've, you've wanted to accumulate, and so you have to work hard to have it or do a lot to maintain it. Oftentimes, because of that greed, you're leveraged, right? You've borrowed a lot of money. You're in debt, and because you're in debt, you don't have any margin, so you don't have any margin on your time, and you don't have any mon- margin on your on your money, because even though you may have a lot of stuff, you actually don't have much wealth because you're actually in debt, right? And so you have no margin, and if you have no margin, you are on edge. Like, that's what no margin is. Like, you're on the edge. You're on the edge in your time. You're on the edge in your money. And what happens when you're on edge? You stir up strife. Because anything could set you off. Anything can push you over the edge. Anything is getting in the way of how you need what... And it's so frustrating. So greed actually leads to being quarrelsome, to being full of strife. Some of you, you're not hot-tempered people. But you have lived above your means. You have wanted things that you didn't need and borrowed a lot of money to get them. And worked really, really hard to maintain them. And you find yourself on edge and contentious and quarrelsome. That's not your personality, but it's where you've led yourself through greed. So temper might be one thing that contributes. Another thing that contributes is greed. A third thing is dishonesty. Dishonesty. Proverbs 16.28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A dishonest man spread strife. Why? Because if you have kind of a distant relationship to the truth, just by sowing sort of seeds of dishonesty, you're going to inevitably say things about people that aren't true. You're going to say things about yourself that aren't true. And that's going to make people upset because I don't know about you, but I don't like to be lied about. 
I don't like to be slandered. I don't like people to say things that aren't true about me, right? And so a dishonest man doesn't just spread lies, but a dishonest man spreads strife, right? Our, our, our relationships are harmed by the fighting that comes along with, well, that's what you said. Well, that's not true and all that sort of a thing. So dishonesty contributes. The fourth thing that contributes is gossip, according to the Proverbs. So temper, greed, dishonesty, and gossip. Here's what it says in Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Key word here is whisperer. So get the analogy. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, right? If you run out of wood, no more fire. You've all been camping. No more wood, no more fire. No more whispering, no more quarreling. Well, what's whispering? Whispering here is, is, hey, did you hear about them? I know. And, and in, in church world, we like to go, we need to pray for them. <laughs> right, but it's this murmuring, it's this whispering, it's, hey, did you hear about this? Did you know that about them? Well, I mean, can you believe it? I mean, I would never do that, but I mean, if you want to raise your kids, I guess it's just that's the way you do it, but you know, uh, whisper, 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 whisper. Are you prone to gossip? Some of you have felt great so far because you're like, I'm not tempered. I uh, tell the truth. I'm not greedy. (coughs) Are you a whisperer? Do you always have to get the salty, sweet detail about what's going on in other people's lives and make sure that you talk about it? You're a whisperer. And it's stirring up strife. And it's stirring up contention. It's gossipy. Gossip is one of these sins that we don't want to ever think about as a sin. That's what's so interesting about really this whole list, right? Almost all of these we would go, well, I don't really have a problem with that. Really? All of these things are fueling this culture, in the culture and in the church, of being quarrelsome and contentious. Here's the last one. Number five is alcohol. Alcohol, according to the Proverbs, is something that stirs up and contributes to being quarrelsome. Here's what it says in Proverbs 23. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? There's our key word, strife. Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? So these are just great questions. Do you have woe in your life? Do you have sorrow? Do you have strife? Do you have complaining? Do you have wounds without cause? Do you have redness of eyes? Right? All of these kinds of areas of unhealth physically or relationally, strife being one of them, where does that come from? He continues, those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Now, now get this. When you look at the scriptures as a whole, The scriptures do not condemn all drinking of alcohol. But what this is saying is if you tarry long over wine, if alcohol becomes something that you spend a lot of time consuming, a lot of time lingering over, a lot of time medicating yourself with, there's going to be a lot of negative things that come from it, but one of them is going to be strife. I remember talking with an older, wiser pastor a number of years ago, and... uh, I said, if you had the power to make one law, and it could actually be enforced, 
but you had the power to make one law that could actually be enforced that the whole world would have to abide by. And, and we know it shouldn't be that everyone becomes a Christian because you can't legislate the heart. But we said, okay, if you could just make one law and it could actually be enforced that you think would do the most good for the whole world, what would it be? And he said, if I could just eliminate alcohol, so many problems would go away. And this is a guy who actually, he enjoyed a drink. He, you know, wasn't a teetotaler. But he said, if you could eliminate alcohol, so many problems are made worse because of it. Think about how much domestic abuse is fueled by alcohol. Think about how many unwanted sexual advances are fueled by alcohol. Think about how many poor decisions are fueled by alcohol. Think about it. I mean, just over and over and over. Think about how many relationships are broken and hurting, and a big factor is alcohol. Listen, I'm not telling you that you can't drink at all. But could this be a point where your alcohol consumption is actually getting in the way of your relational health? Of loving your neighbor as yourself? Maybe that contributes. So quarreling and strife by itself is a problem, but all these other things contribute to it as well. For our last question is this, what's the cure? What's the cure? What's the cure to being quarrelsome? What's the cure to strife and being contentious? Well, here's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. He says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Here's what I want you to see from this verse is two cures, right? What's the cure to being quarrelsome? What's the cure to being contentious and filled with strife? There's two cures in this passage. The first is a heart cure. It's the heart cure that Jesus, it says there, God in Christ forgave you. In other words, we were at war with God. We were battling God. We were, had enmity between God. And even though we were his enemies, Christ came to die for his enemies. Christ forgives his enemies. When he had every right to fight back and to squash us with his wrath, instead, in humility and in love, he came and he died in our place. And so that first cure is a heart cure. Because what Jesus does as he dies on the cross is not only forgives our sin, but he begins the process of restoring all the relationships that were alienated by sin. Remember we talked about that? Relationship with God, relationship with each other, relationship with the creation, relationship with ourselves. Jesus came to heal our hearts and to heal all of those relationships so that we could be brought back into relationship with God, so that we could be loving and kind and tenderhearted toward one another, so that we could steward his creation in a way that gives him glory, so that we could be comfortable again in our own skin. Jesus came to do that. Christ forgave us. Christ died to provide that heart cure. And until your heart changes, until your heart's been melted by the love of Jesus, you'll never have the power to stop your quarreling. Because you are, at that point, by nature, a child of wrath. A child who's always fighting back against God and against his creation. So there's a heart cure in this passage. 
There's also a habit cure. There's a habit cure here that you see that's a, a habit cure that comes through replacing some habits with new ones. So, look at this. The first part of it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Doesn't it seem like all those words could be used to describe being quarrelsome and strife and contentious and anger? Right? He's saying, let all of it, all the bitterness, get rid of it. All the wrath, get rid of it. All the anger, get rid of it. All the clamor and slander and malice, get rid of it. All of it. Get rid of all of it. Take it all off. But notice, notice, Paul never says, hey, just stop doing this without also saying, start doing this. Because actually what has to drive out these old habits and these old loves and these old practices are new ones. The old Puritan had a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. A new affection, a new practice has to come in and expel the old one. So he says, in place of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice, in place of that, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we replace our bitterness with forgiveness. Some of you, the reason you're on edge when you're around that certain person is because you're holding on to bitterness. And you need to contemplate, Christ has forgiven me when I was so mean to him, so bad to him. And you replace it with forgiveness. Some of you, you replace complaining with thanking. Do you have a complaining spirit? Everything's always not good enough. Everything's always... Right? We, all, we all can get like that. Right? We expect things a certain way and they don't happen and we complain. What if instead Christians were known as having a thanking spirit? What if instead of thinking, oh, I've got to be discerning, which you do, but if instead of using discernment as a cover for, well, I'm just someone that really cares about discernment. What if you really cared about encouragement? What if you, before you looked for the things to critique, you looked for the things to appreciate? What difference might this make with your kids? Some of you, the ground zero for the strife in your family is you and your kids. And I know as a dad that has high expectations of my kids and that communicates those and that notices when they're not met, I can be right. And I can make a point. And I have the power. But if I'm not careful, my discernment and my correction and my needing to make sure they do the right thing can, can replace looking for encouragement. Now, now, now get this. As a parent, do you, do you go, well, am I going to be discerning or encouraging? I have to pick one. No, you don't. You don't have to pick one. You've got to be both. But, but is it possible that over time you, you start to gravitate towards just discerning the things that are wrong instead of encouraging the things that are right? When was the last time your kids caught, you caught your kids doing something well and told them about it? Think about how that could change the dynamic. What if you replaced gossip with praise? What if instead of being a whisperer, hey, have you heard about this thing? What if instead you said, you know what? 
I saw this woman doing the most amazing thing the other day. It was so cool. Let me tell you about it. What if you gossip that way? Just think about this. Think about what the church would be in contrast to the world. If we were a forgiving place, a kind place, an encouraging place, a place filled with gratitude, a people who praised and encouraged and outdid one another in showing honor, can you imagine? I mean, we couldn't build a building large enough for what difference that would make in our world. In a world of cupcake wars and <laughs> fighting over politics and sports and everything in between, what if we could be people of peace, people of self-control, people of love and encouragement in a world of anger? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus who has broken down the walls of hostility that stood between us and you and between us and each other. And Father, I pray that we would have the wisdom that Proverbs talks about here to be self-controlled, to be people of peace, to be people who turn down the tension rather than always ratcheting it up. Give us that grace, Lord, and point us to Jesus as we go there. In Jesus' name, amen.